Good morning. And welcome to Blue Lake on this wonderful Sunday. Happy Father's Day. Well, the message this morning is lonely in a broken world. Well, the Jacoby Storehouse and the Phillips House in Arcata and the Holy Trinity Church in Trinidad, according to the National Register of Places, are listed among the oldest structures in Humboldt County, dating all the way back to the 1850s. Now, for Humboldt standards, that's pretty old. Well, last week, uh, we visited Holland, looking at some of the newest lily varieties and researching some of the new technologies that are currently being used in the flower industry in Holland. Now, one day, we grabbed some lunch in, in Maidenblik, a city that was incorporated back in 1289. And some of the buildings there are still dating back to those days. Or later that day, we had dinner in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area called Weeringen. And prior to 1924, this was an island before all the water around it had been pumped out and turned into farmland. On this former island, there was a church that was built in the 1100s using prehistoric rock. And even though this church has been restored several times in the last few centuries, that original rock was still there in a lot of parts of that church. Now, seeing buildings that were built in the 1100s brings a whole new perspective to what we consider historic in Humboldt County. Now let's go back a little bit farther, yet in time, to 900 BC, in the land of Israel, which brings us to the story of Elijah, recorded in 1 Kings, and it continues into its sequel, 2 Kings. These books describe the kings that followed King David, starting with his son Solomon, and his sons, and the split of the kingdom, with ten tribes forming the northern kingdom of Israel, with King Jeroboam, and then the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, forming the kingdom of Judah, with King Rehoboam and Jerusalem as its capital. Well, the kingdom of Judah counted 20 kings over a time span of 350 years, ending with the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC and its exile to the people to Babylon. Then the northern kingdom of Israel counted 19 kings over a much shorter period, just a little over two centuries, when Samaria, its capital of the northern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians. Well, the book of Kings describes each and every one of these kings in great detail. And without exception, the 19 kings of that northern kingdom of Israel were evil in the sight of the Lord. And in 853 BC, King Ahab came to the throne. And in 1 Kings 16.30, the Bible describes Ahab as more evil than all who were before him. 
He took as his wife Jezebel, daughter of the king of Sidonia. Now Elijah comes into the scene in chapter 17. And Elijah warns the king of his evil doings and worshipping the idol god called Baal. Elijah challenges the king and 450 prophets of Baal to construct an altar while slaughtering a bull. The prophets of Baal plead with their god to ignite this fire. But not surprisingly, nothing happens to the dismay of the king. Then Elijah prepares a similar altar, but instead drenches it, drenches the pile of wood with much water, and it fills up all the trenches around the altar. This altar is soaking wet. Elijah does a simple prayer to the God of Israel, and a fire of the Lord fell and consumed the altar and the offering as it went up in flames. Then Elijah kills all 450 of the prophets of Baal. King Ahab and Jezebel are now out to get Elijah. Now today's reading started with Elijah having fled, taking shelter from a scorching sun under a broom tree. And he's not only scared, but he's also depressed. To the point where he says, I have enough of all of this. Just take my life. But the Lord sends an angel instead. With freshly break bread. And a jar of cool water. The angel wakes him up after a good nap. And tells him, get up and eat. And get ready for a journey. A journey of 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Oreb. Now you may ask, where is Mount Oreb? Well, that's a good question. It is called the mountain of God. It's the place where Moses had his first encounter with God while in hiding from Pharaoh. Exodus 3 reads... Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. So this was in the land of Midian, the same place where he would return with over two million Israelites after crossing the Red Sea months later. Now most Bibles, when you open the front, you'll see a map on the inside. And that map, in most cases, shows Mount Oreb to be in the Sinai Desert. Well, there is no biblical evidence that this was the case. Based on writings in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it is more probable that Mount Oreb was in the land of Midian, Nowadays, Saudi Arabia, on a mountain that today is called Jebel El Las, rising 8,500 feet above sea level. The entire top of this mountain is black, burned from the fire 
once God descended on the mountain in Exodus 19. At the base of this mountain, there is a rock split in two with evidence of heavy erosion all around it, as it is likely that this was the rock that Moses struck, providing water for the Israelites. Twelve pillars of the twelve tribes of Israel are still at the base of this mountain. So is a stone structure that could have been the altar for the golden calf and boundary markers that were set up by Moses as instructed by God in Exodus 19.23. Local traditions dating back to 250 BC, publications including one from the Bayes Institute, and an increasing number of biblical scholars all point to Mount Oreb being in northwestern Saudi Arabia. Ron Wyatt went back to this site several times during the 80s. Since that time, the Saudi government has built a huge fence all around the entire mountain, and access is prohibited. For Elijah to travel from the northern part of Israel to the Saudi Arabian desert, this could have easily taken 40 days by foot. And in verse 9, he finally arrived at Oreb, when he spent the night in a cave. And then a voice came from the Lord, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah makes his case, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they are seeking my life to take it away. The voice says, go outside, stand before the Lord, and the Lord will pass by. Then there is a strong wind, an earthquake, and a great fire. But the Lord did not appear in any of these acts of nature. But the, Lord, the voice of the Lord did appear after a moment of sheer silence. Now, what can we learn from this? How often are we looking for a solution now? Not next week, not tomorrow, not even later today. We want it now. And then there was this sheer silence. And more silence. And then a voice. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king of Aram. Now Elijah was frustrated. He was depressed and lonely in a world where there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. An evil king and Jezebel, his wife, worshipping Baal. And a nation following in these evil ways, doing the things that were displeasing to God. Is this where we are today? Don't we have kings? We don't have kings and queens in our country or in the state of California. But we do have lawmakers that hold the power 
to affect our lives and also set the tone as leaders of our country and our state. Now, two weeks ago, some fellow flower farmers and I went to Sacramento to meet with members of the state assembly and their staffs to brief these legislators on issues facing their constituents, meaning us. Now, once a year, early in the summer, an event that is held that is called the California Roast, which is held in downtown Sacramento. And as California flower farmers, we donated the flowers to this, e to this evening. And in return, we were given a table to witness this private event with 600 in attendance. Well, the roast is organized by the California Center of Civic Participation. And over the last 34 years, governors, senators, assembly speakers, and other government officials have been recognized by their peers in an amusing setting. Well, this year it was Senator Pro Term Kevin DeLeon's turn to be roasted by current and past leaders in Sacramento. The audience included legislators and other government officials. And after a great meal, the roast convened. And as newcomers to this event, we could not believe what we heard as the F-bombs started flying through the sound system. And in a little more than an hour, in a little more hour than an hour presentation by six speakers, I heard more F-words than I've heard in the last two years combined. Interweaved with sexually suggestive language and insinuation of sexual promiscuities. At one point, I was starting to feel like a bad dream. How did we find ourselves in this place? We later heard that this year's event was mild compared to the roast last year. And I thought by myself, here we have the leadership of the state of California, a $2.5 trillion economy, by itself the seventh largest economy in the world. And these are our leaders. These are the folks imposing standards of conduct on the people of the state of California, but apparently adhere to a different standard when it comes to their own behavior. Yet, it is emblematic of where we are heading as a nation. The foundation of our society is eroding, and we're seeing a moral collapse of our values. In his book called The Beginning of the End, Michael Schneider points to some facts of why America is eroding at the base. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, roughly one-third of the entire population of the United States, 110 million people, currently have a sexually transmitted disease. 
America has the highest STD infection rate in the entire industrial world. The United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the developed world. And according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, there are 747,000 registered sex offenders in the United States. 106,000 in the state of California alone. According to the Pew Research Poll, the marriage rate in the United States has fallen to an all-time low with 6.8 marriages per thousand people. Well, as we celebrate Father's Day today, approximately one out of every three children in America lives in a home without a father. The Centers of Disease Control and Prevention reports that doctors in the United States write more than 250 million prescriptions for antidepressants each year. There are 70 million Americans that are on mind-altering drugs of one form or another. Americans spend more than $280 billion on prescription drugs each year. And children in the United States are three times more likely to be, to be described, prescribed antidepressants than children in Europe. And according to the World Health Organization, America has the highest rate of illegal drug use in the entire planet. Now, Dr. Lutzer, in his book, When a Nation Forgets God, describes how laws currently are made and where America is heading. Laws reflect a nation's belief, a culture. They reflect morality and values. Early American laws were based on the moral laws found in the Bible, acknowledging a higher authority than man or a king, and that is God Almighty. However, with secularism gradually entering into America's way of life, man slowly displaced God into the laws that were made. Well, thinking about Elijah sitting under that broom tree, depressed and in despair, filled with darkness, there are moments where we can relate to that today and wonder where this is all leading to. But there is hope. A beacon of light in the darkness. And there is good news. Five years ago, my wife and I visited Israel. And we toured the northern part of the Holy Land one day. And the bus took us through a, the fertile uh, Jezreel Valley. And on the east side of that valley, the tour guide pointed to what he, would, what he called Mount Tabor. Uh, the site of the transfiguration of Jesus. Well, not knowing what that meant at the time, but based on its apparent significance, I snapped some pictures. And after the trip, reading the gospel accounts of the transfiguration in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and in the second letter of Peter, it became clear that this was an important event in history. This was the mountain where Peter, and John, and James had fallen asleep. And by the time they woke up, 
Jesus was standing there, shining with bright rays of light. Then Moses and Elijah appeared next to him. And they were talking to Jesus. Now isn't this interesting? Here we have Moses, who was frustrated with his countrymen. The unbelieving Israelites. After coming down from Mount Oreb, they had made the golden calf. God forbid him and his people to enter the promised land for another 40 years. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Then 600 years later, Elijah was frustrated and depressed with the Israelites and their king and queen during his lifetime. And he was in despair and darkness and traveled 40 days to that same Mount Oreb, back to the roots of the law, the mountain where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. Now Moses died and was buried in the land east of the Jordan. Elijah was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind and chariots of fire as he crossed the Jordan east of Jericho. As described in 2 Kings. The Jewish people are still waiting for his return today. As prophesied in Malachi. Here Moses and Elijah and Jesus are together. And they are talking. In a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. Moses and Elijah were messengers. God spoke directly to them. At Oreb. But Jesus, the Son of God, brings a completely new dimension. A cloud came over the mountain, and a voice came out saying, This is my Son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now, ironically, those pictures I snapped that day of the tour show a cloud hanging right over this mountain on an otherwise sunny day. Well, the voice said, this is my son, listen to him. Moses and Elijah were recipients of the power of God. Jesus, on the other hand, is the power. He is the gift to humankind. And here is the good news. We can receive this gift of Jesus Christ. We do not need to be lonely in a broken world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Repent of your sins. Change your mind. And turn loose of all the old things. Jesus will enter your heart, come into your life with peace. He will break the chains that are holding us down. He will forgive our sins, take away our guilt and shame, and create a brand new slate. Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
He will lead us to the ultimate kingdom, that narrow path to eternal life. Amen.